How's everyone? Good. It's very good to see all of you. Um, this week was a very interesting week for me. Uh, I did something that I don't normally do, and that was very much out of my comfort zone. And I want to tell you about it as we get started here. So, most of you know Cheryl Peppel. Um, if you don't, she usually sits right over there. She's a, I'm sure the, her, uh, she has a, a lake house. I'm sure they're spending the weekend there. Um, I was standing meeting with her every Wednesday. She's um, worked at lots of different churches, and so she kind of helps me brainstorm and go through different things. And we were meeting two weeks ago, and we were talking about her trip to the Philistines where they go door-to-door evangelizing and have massive success. Uh, I mean, it's just continued for years and years and years. And then we started, like, we were like, how different is that in America? Right? I mean, you never go door-to-door evangelizing. Like, this is just not something we consider an option, you know? Um, and, you know, I got into kind of a, like a rant mode, which I know it seems like not me, but... And I was like, here's, here's what gets me. People my age, and I've done this, and I think I've maybe brought some of this to the church... We look at how Christians maybe evangelized in the past, or you know, our parents or our parents' parents, and we're like, that was hokey, that was kind of lame, maybe that just doesn't work now. But sometimes we do that as an excuse to do nothing today. Like, we don't replace it with anything. We just say, how embarrassing was that, um, that they did that. And I said, you can always tell what people really care about and how much they care about it when you come down to politics. Politics, even in our local community, right? Politics is just relationships, it's life. Everyone cares about politics because we all want to be treated fairly, right? We want to live peacefully with other people. Um, We want um, police officers and firefighters. We want um, houses and safety and and all those good things. And when politicians campaign, the people who support them go door-to-door sharing information about the politicians. In this local race, um, a woman's running. He's been at the church here for years, uh, very close to me, Mary Joyce. And uh, as part of her volunteer team, there's block walking. And you go from door-to-door and say, hey... You don't know me from anybody else, but uh, I would trust this one with my life. Um, so I don't know if that necessarily makes her a great politician or not, <laughs> but I do know that I don't know these other people, and if I had to pick someone to make decisions, for sure land for the people I care about and love and the city I love, it would be her. Um, and think about, like, on the national scale, which just terrifies me. Uh, I mean... Imagine going door-to-door for a national presidential campaign. You're guaranteed that like 40% of the people are going to have a visceral, hateful response to you. And you're going maybe for like one out of 20 houses who weren't going to vote or aren't informed and might be willing to listen to you, that kind of a thing. And I was like, and see, the church... Church hasn't gotten past door-to-door evangelism. It just proves how much we don't think it's as urgent. 
when we think a politician needs to get elected, we go knocking. And we go talk to every single person who will listen to us. Um, but when it comes to Jesus, and when it comes to church, we're, we're content to kind of sit around and hope they show up, those kind of things. So I'm just going on in my head, right? And she leaves, and a couple hours later she texts me, and she goes, hey, why don't we go door-to-door next week? I'm like, no, you misunderstood completely <laughs> what I was saying. <laughs> That's not the point at all. Um, but I was like, well, I guess, yeah, I can't say no, okay? So I was like, okay, we'll, we'll do this. So this Wednesday, we went door-to-door out here, um, and I was expecting, a, it was 10.30 in the morning, so I was expecting for maybe half the houses to not have someone there. I was expecting to maybe get one or two good responses, conversations. Um, so we went to the street right over there. We went to 12 houses. You can see the church from the front door of the houses. We were going to go to more, um, but that was as much as we could do in an hour and a half because it was wildly successful. Um, Ten people answered out of the 12. Um, two either weren't home or did a good job of hiding, um, <laughs> which is what I would do. <laughs> Every single person who opened the door stood outside and had a friendly conversation with us. Um, Two of them talked for more than 30 minutes with us. Um, one of them was a pastor who said he's going to pray for our church and add it to his elder, uh, his elder team's prayer list. And I'm like, hey, that's a win. Someone's praying for our church. Two, actually, right across the street, have visited our church in the last two years and both enjoyed it. But just, you know, never made it into a habit. And so I got their names. I know their addresses. One mentioned... My child really enjoyed the children's ministry. That's what I remember most about, about the church. And so Cheryl, right, giving me tips. is like, here's what you do. We're going to send them a children's book, okay, with a nice little note. Like, remember your child enjoyed the service. We love kids. You're always welcome to FCQ, those kind of things. Um, and it's way out of my comfort zone. I mean, if you know me, you know this is not... I was expecting the worst and prepared for the worst... Um, we went over, and here was, here was the pitch. Um, some would open the door, and they had like a little glass screen, or, or they'd like look to see who we were. Um, and I'd say, hi, we're here to introduce ourselves. We're neighbors. And they'd come out, and they'd be like, oh, you know, our neighbors? Where'd you move in? I'm like, actually, just across the street right there. And <laughs> we are neighbors. Um, but we, we were sitting around last week, and we were like, we don't know a whole lot of people around us. So we thought, why not just go try to introduce ourselves to some people? And actually, four of them um, said, yeah, we've been, we've been waiting. They were like, the reason you don't know anybody is because you've never come over here. And, and I was like, well, here we are. <laughs> Howdy. Um, it was shocking to me. It was shocking to me, and it, it changed my mind. It changed how I think and, and view the world. So I can give a good sermon, I think, about how we're supposed to go out into the world and not just wait for the world to come to us, right? But there's something about walking out of this door and across the street to somebody else's house, the physicalness of it, that changed something in my mind. Because most of my life, I'm in this building waiting for people to come into the building. 
But I actually went out because Cheryl made me <laughs> and had to talk to neighbors, introduce myself, said, hi, I'm Mike Skinner, just want to introduce myself. We're that little church right across the street. Uh, we just want you to know, one, you're always welcome with us, but if there's everything you need to pray for, let us know. If there's everything you need, let us know. We've got lots of people, very certain-hearted, uh, and we just want to take care of our community. Um, no big ask, no sales pitch, right? I had a card, and my business card, um, and everyone took one, uh, and uh, they all seemed genuinely happy that I had showed up. Um, we met a Hindu lady who had an interesting conversation with us about you know, the differences and similarities between our religions. And then she actually found out was the head of a child advocacy organization. And she had problems, though, because she only knows Catholics. And a lot of the children that come in, their family, extended family, want them to have some Protestant pastoral care. And she was like, I don't know any Protestants, though. She was like, can you be my first like Protestant contact? I was like, yeah. Connections are made. Networks are made. You meet people who, who know your church. And, and I can actually tell you this. All of them were like, yeah, we've seen more stuff happening over there. Like, we've seen the balloons and stuff up and that kind of stuff. And we're like, yeah, we're, we're going to keep doing that. So bring your kids. Come on over. Tell the neighbors, right? Um, there was this, this kind of switch went off in my mind. And it, it was almost like addictive, right? We were like, we need to go back. It's hot. We're sweating. Uh, about to faint, but I'm like, one more house. <laughs> Come on, one more house. Let's go. And so I'm hoping by the end of the summer to have it all like charted out, right? I've got first and last names for that group, and we'll just keep on pushing back. Um, but it fit in perfectly with what our sermon topic was going to be today. Um, we've been talking about community and different ways that we belong to one another, um, and how as a church we, we need to provide all types of different ways for people to belong because they're all important and we've got public spaces which would be kind of like this right where you're here not because of someone else but because of an event um, and you might not necessarily know other people's names and might not necessarily get to know other people then you've got social space neighborly space think like a party I've been to graduation parties the last couple of days it's a social space and then you've got personal, intimate space. And, and churches usually have public space, worship, and they have the personal, intimate space in small groups. Um, and, and, and sometimes they emphasize one over the other. Uh, sometimes they push a little too hard, right? No one ever wants to be forced into intimate space with somebody. Um, it's just very uncomfortable. And so last week, or, or last time I preached, we talked about the public spaces. And so... Um, this week we're talking about social space, um, being neighbors with people, um, meeting somewhere in between, where it's not out in public in the middle of the mall, right, in the concert, but it's not inside your house either, or inside our church. It's on a front porch, it's on a street, it's on a, a, a sidewalk, um, and and. So this morning I want to take you into a, a, a story from the Gospels um, and then talk through some of what I've been thinking about when it comes to social space and how we as a church might um, improve on and continue to offer social space, um, connections and relationships um, in, in these areas. So if you would turn with me to John chapter 2. 
when we think of Jesus and his ministry, I think sometimes we we think it's a little bit more serious than it was. Jesus walking around with his clergy collar on, calling people to repentance and splashing holy water on them. Um, most of Jesus' ministry, though, is spent in what we call a social space, and what we call a party, where people are kind of like small talking, right? The small talk of relationships. He was known for his table ministry. He ate meals with people. And more than that, he was known for who he was eating meals with, right? Tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners. Um, this should tell you a lot about Jesus. These people were his friends. I don't know if you know people like that, uh, or people with very bad reputations, or who have very bad professions. Um, they don't like you if you're judgmental towards them, or if you make them cross a, a, a boundary or make them change before you enjoy them and laugh with them and get to know them. Um, and so the fact that Jesus spends his ministry eating with them and, and they like it, right? They're the ones who want to go hang out with Jesus. They're the ones who want to go spend more time with him. It tells us a lot, I think, about Jesus. Um, and and so, so Jesus is not necessarily always going around to synagogues and preaching in churches. He's not necessarily always going around and trying to convert people one-on-one. Most of his ministry, I believe, is actually in these social spaces. And, and we see one of the more interesting stories, I think, in John chapter 2 here. Um, you're probably familiar with the story, um, although I think we should be very unfamiliar with it. It's a weird story. Uh, on the third day, chapter 2, verse 1, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples, and when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there are six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. It's a lot of, of liquid. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water that had now become wine, they did not know where it came from. Though the servants that had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you've kept the good wine until now. And notice what John says about this story, this miracle. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Now John very carefully selects stories to illustrate who Jesus is and what he's doing in the world. Um, he has seven signs in his gospel. You see, they're numbered, right? This is the first one, this wedding in Cana in Galilee. And it's should be, I think, to us very interesting um, that the first sign, Jesus' first public ministry appearance is to make more alcohol. I mean, this is not, this is not, this is not the Jesus that I heard about growing up, right? I'm, this is just a different kind of, no one ever told me the most Christ-like you can be is to go buy more alcohol when it runs out of that party. Um, but this is, this is what Jesus is doing here in the story. Um, they're at a wedding. Jewish people, 
um, back then and still today uh, are known for being able to have a good time um, because their God commands them to have a good time. The Old Testament's full of this. Um, you stop and you party. Um, the Psalms say God invented, he gave wine to make man's heart happy. Um, and, and so, you know, I grew up in more of a, uh, <clears throat> if you're a Christian, you don't drink. It's, the pendulum's kind of switched now. It's almost like if you're a Christian, you have to drink like micro-brewed beer and have a beard and that kind of thing. Um, you know, probably will go back and forth. Um, and I heard, you know, when you see wine and stuff like this in the Bible, um, it's not really what we know as wine. I mean, we know as alcohol, right? No. It would be really low percentages. It would be closer to grape juice. Um, a couple interesting things about this. You actually don't have the technology to make grape juice until three or 400 years ago. Um, Welch, John Welch, created grape juice. Uh, you have to stop the fermenting process, and it takes refrigeration and chemicals. Um, so it actually would have been impossible for them to have what we call grape juice back then. And then two, it doesn't make sense of the... God created wine to make the heart happy, and then the repeated commands to not become a drunkard. I've seen kids get big sugar highs on grape juice, but I've never seen someone stumble uh, or get a DUI, right, because they're drinking too much grape juice. Um, the Bible, though, is like this stuff is strong, and, and while it's a gift, if you use it incorrectly, right, it's going to take you down a dangerous, dangerous path. Um, so Jesus is at this wedding. This is a social space. This is a party. I was at a couple of graduation parties this weekend. It's the small talk of relationships. You're meeting new people. You're seeing people that you know, but you don't know very well. And you're exchanging some basic information. They're kind of giving you an impression of who they are. And you're giving people an impression of who you are. And... Um, people kind of get a feel for what you're about, right? And, and, and whether they might want to know more about you or be closer friends with you, those sort of things. Um, Jesus turns the water into wine, and I, I don't think we should just look over the, the, the actual story itself. Um, you know, when I teach the Gospels to my students, uh, or Jesus, I, I, I always say this, Jesus, from what we can tell from the Gospels, loves weddings and he hates funerals. When he was at the wedding, when it was about to end, because the alcohol was out, he's like, no, everyone stay. I mean, this is a lot. Six times 30 gallons. I can't do the math. That's a lot of, that's a lot of, that's a lot of wine, right? Um, and then when he goes to funerals, he tends to be like, I want this over. Just come back alive, right? I don't like this. It's not good. It's not what I want. Um, there's something about weddings, I think, maybe, that symbolizes what he's about, what he's come into the world to do. And maybe there's something about funerals that symbolizes what he's come to undo, what he's come to get rid of. And this story, I think, serves in John. It says he manifests his glory as um, not only a, a story of Jesus bringing life back into this party, but of his symbolic ministry, right? This is what Jesus has come to do. He's come to take what is our water and turn it into wine. He's come to take dust and make it 
beautiful. He's going to take crying and turn it into laughter. He's come to take mourning and turn it into dancing. Jesus has come to um, come feast with humanity. He's come to give the life of God to us. He's come so that we can join this big party that's going on between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so when he does this at the wedding, the social space, John says, here is when we saw his glory. And notice the response. The disciples believed in him. He's in public. He's acting. People get to watch what he's doing, what he's about. And then they make a decision. And they decide to go further with him. They believed him. They went and followed him, stayed with him in Capernaum. So social spaces, parties, think of our April 3rd event, you know, where we invite the neighborhood, come bring your kids, we've got bounce houses, things like that. These are our social spaces. Um, again, it's the small talk of relationships, right? It's more than strangers, but it's less than close friends. Um, it's people you play games with or share short stories with. Um, they, they kind of give us a snapshot of other people. We kind of put our first impressions forward. Um, and they're important for a lot of reasons. If we didn't have social spaces, um, our networking and our belonging and our community would fall in lots of different ways. I'll just give you three reasons that social spaces are important. And we can see this with Jesus as well. Um, the first one is that it provides space for neighbor relationships to develop. Um, and by neighbor, I mean someone who you know and someone you know how to contact in a time of need. Um, so think over there, right? Um, Sugarland and this first colony, right? Pretty self-sufficient. I, I, I doubt we'll probably ever hear from some of these people like hey you know our uh, bathroom flooded can you all come over and get it right no they just kind of call right a plumber and, and fix it um but i can remember a time when i was a child when you knew your neighbors we knew who was on the left we knew who was on the right we knew who was across the street. And because of that, I can remember, I mean, very vividly, walking across the street, knocking on the door for my parents and saying, hi, my parents were running, we can have a couple of eggs. We're short a couple of eggs for whatever the meal is tonight. And, oh, yeah, of course. And them coming over and saying, hey, will you pick up our mail? We're going to be gone, you know, for a week. Um, so it provides these neighbor spaces, right, that would otherwise never exist, these relationships. Um, People would not know that we can pray for them and serve them if they never came to our public gatherings and if we never were close personal friends with them, right? But if we can stand on the front porch and introduce ourselves and have some small talk, then that contact's made. Imagine if you moved to a new state and you didn't have anyone you could call. You didn't know anybody. Your car breaks down, right? You call your work, you 
call your landlord, the police. We take for granted that we have all these social connections. I've got 50, 100, 150 people that I'm not close friends with, but I could call and would come pick me up. Would come take care of me, right? And so social spaces allow us to build those relationships. Two, it provides a safe space for us to decide who we want to grow deeper with. Um, it's like the dating of relationships, right? Um, you get to meet someone, they get to meet you, and then you get to make a decision. Both of you do. Do you want to keep talking? Do I want to move away? Might I pursue a deeper friendship here? Um, I was at a party this weekend, and uh, I saw a couple people who, who, who I've known for a while, and um, I've thought about, you know, I, I want to bring them into a more personal space. I want to make them closer friends of mine. Um, and that never would have happened, right, if that party didn't exist. If I wasn't there to make small talk with them and then remember, yeah, I think this person, um, we can have a, a good relationship. I can help them, they can help me, and I think we'll enjoy each other. Um, I think our personalities click. Um, it's the same thing with Jesus here, right? In this social space, people got to decide. They got to see. Um, what's this guy about? Are we going to follow him? Can he, can he do what he says he's, he's going to do? Should he, he be trusted? Um, for a church, um, we might call this like an open door. Um, that's the churchy word for this. What we're finding is less people will actually come to a church on a Sunday morning out of the blue. Um, but they'd be willing to come to your house for like a party, right? And it just might so happen that most of the people at the party are your church friends. And then in that social setting, there's a safe place for them to say, hey, these aren't weird Christians. These are nice people who care about me. They seem like they've been changed by some sort of love that's come in contact with them. And what you'll find is you get a lot more people who will come into the church if you have these open door events um, where you meet them halfway. You don't go into their place, you don't go out into the public, but you don't bring them inside your house. Um, you have these this open door events. And uh, the third reason is these interactions and social spaces allow us to display a reality that we get to create about who we are um, and, and allow others to develop this kind of self-projection as well, this authentic projection. If you think about it, when someone asks you a question about your life or what you do, those kind of things, you actually are making a lot of subconscious choices with the words you use in response. Um, I learned a while back ago, people ask me what I do, that if I say I'm a pastor, they either don't want to talk to me anymore, or they want to share all their conspiracy theories about the Bible with me. And so I typically don't say I'm a pastor. Um, my favorite is, I teach ancient literature. <laughs> it's true. This is old. Um, and then I've had, of course, you know, say that comes into a closer relationship. Like, 
you're a pastor. You said you were teaching ancient literature. I'm like, it's a, no, yeah, it's, it works. Okay. <laughs> we would, you probably wouldn't be my friend right now, though, if I told you I was a pastor. Um, we get to look in that situation, right? And be like, what would make the most sense to them? Um, how, how would I describe myself that would, would accurately portray me to this person? Um, or think when someone asks you, right, how's the job going? Yesterday I was at a party, someone said, how's HBU? In that moment, there's a thousand ways I can answer that question. And it all depends on who I'm talking to, what I know about them or think about them, and what I'd like them to know or think about me and HBU and our relationship together, right? I could spill all the dirt about HBU, all the politics behind the scenes. I could kind of give the resume version, right? Where I'm like, no, it's great. It's real fun being the youngest professor you know, on a, a college campus and kind of put myself up, right? I can give the generic, like I'm not really interested. Like it's fine, yeah, it's good, I like it. Um, all of those are true. All of those are possible. I'm making a split-second choice, right, about how much I want to share. And what I'm sharing is intended to steer the conversation in one way or another, right? How's your marriage? How's your kids? Um, how's your health, right? All these questions in the small talk of our lives, we're making these decisions. And, and, and we're trying to portray an authentic portrait of who we are um, that makes the most sense to that person and makes the most sense for that relationship. Um, Jesus in these social spaces at the table with tax collectors and prostitutes at the wedding in Cana um, is able to be seen for who he is. Is able to be have his glory manifested. Um, as a church, right, when, when we have a social space, this should be a time where people um, get to see that, right, we're not judgmental, hateful people who we want to stone other people, and we're not um, closed-minded bigots, and um, we're not, you know, elitist, um, esoteric intellectuals. We're we're people who care about other people. We're people who accept unconditionally. We're people who, who come to us. And at a social space, you want to present that. You want to give your best impression, right? Um, not faking anything, but you want, to, you, want to, you want to show who you are. And then people get to decide. Do I want to go further? Do I want to back away? Or do I want to stay maybe in the social space for a little bit? Um, one of the things I think churches have made a mistake about is they'll make a social space, um, but it's actually just a gimmick. Right? It's just like a bait and switch for you to come to a gathering or a personal thing, right? Um, so it's like, hey, come to the party, and then all of a sudden we're splitting up into prayer groups. And they're like, no. But, or come to the party, and it's like a hard sales pitch, right? come to the church. Like, I thought my kids were going to go bounce and I'd be able to get a drink and enjoy the day, right? Um, social spaces should be 
intentional, right? I mean, we want these people to find the love of Christ and, and, and join us in our family. Um, but we want to let them make that decision. And people can smell funniness from so far away. I mean, they can smell when it's fake, when they're, when they're a project, or when an event is a gimmick, right? And then at the same time, they can smell when these people really just wanted to, to do something for the community. They're just generally nice people. And something has happened in their lives that would make them donate their time and money to host events like this and to, to get to know and to serve and, and to um, be a blessing in the community. I think that almost every human being has this deep longing for front porches. You'll take an architecture trip back with me. Um, you know, houses used to be built with these big front porches and you have swings and people would sit out at night and this is how you saw your neighbors and you talked to your neighbors. So they would come over and you'd form these social connections. Um, if you look at suburbia, you look at downtown, there's no more front porches, right? Um, but you need that medium space. And in fact, I would argue some of the most popular retail stores or restaurants uh, are actually popular not just because they have a product that's good, but because they fill this need for a front porch. Um, I think Starbucks does a little bit, um, but I can think more locally here. Um, there's the coffee shop Minuti Coffee um, that I know some people in here are big fans of. Um, and every time I go there, I see somebody that I know. And so sometimes I go there because I know that I'll be able to run into a friend. I didn't like plan some like intense meeting with them, right? I'm not stuck there. There's no agenda. And then someone will probably say hi to me. I'll have a chance if I want to, to have a spontaneous conversation with someone, to build a connection. Um, I, think, I think that's actually part of the success of, of certain stores uh, and, and certain, certain companies as they provide this front porch um, space that we've taken away from our streets, from, from inside our houses. So as a church, what we're, what we're doing is we're looking at, as we're trying to focus on creating deeper and fostering deeper communities, is how can we provide and foster good social spaces? Um, where one, people inside of our church can small talk with each other and get to know people they didn't know before and get closer to certain people, right? Um, and then two, where people in our neighborhood can get to know us and we can get to know them and maybe we'll walk out in their direction and meet them halfway instead of having them walk over here and meeting us halfway um, and then what kind of regularity and intentionality will we do this with right what kind of accountability are we going to give ourselves um, for providing social spaces um, because as I've said all along all of these spaces are important if you don't have public space, you'd feel something missing from your life. If you didn't have people who 
you only saw once a week or you know once a quarter that kind of thing um, you'd miss out those people actually matter to you even though you might think they don't you look there's something comfortable about seeing their faces or just shaking a hand and smiling if you didn't have personal or intimate relationships right you'd feel like you're missing out I have no one I can share with I have no one I can cry with I have no one I can I can really count on and then if you didn't have social spaces again I think you'd be really missing out you'd find that there's this hole um, in your need to, to belong um, with other other people um, and social spaces often serve as the gateway again in and out of um, closer friendships and, and deeper community um, so this series has, has always been uh, as much of an invitation to brainstorm with me as it is you know any solutions or answers that I have I'm kind of processing out loud here right I think as a church it's important for us to provide these social spaces um, and I want to invite you to think about you know the social spaces that matter to you how you've seen this happen in your life, how you present yourself, how you've seen a relationship get closer, further back, um, or maybe you've been to a social space, an event or a party that was kind of gimmicky and, and you could smell it and you didn't like it. Um, and then what you might have as an idea for what the church could do. Um, what kind of things could the church offer what kind of things could the church intentionally host um, that would, you can't create community, but that would foster, that would put the soil down for, for these social relationships to grow, um, where we can have connections and where we can find people to go deeper with if we'd like to. Um, so again, you know, I always want to end by coming back to, to the Gospels and to Jesus. We belong to one another because we're made in the image of God who's relational in himself, right? The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And, and we go to the world trying to be good news and salt and light because Jesus has come to us. We didn't walk across the street to Jesus and say, hey, could you help us out? Jesus walked across and knocked on our door and stood there while we ignored him and let us watch until we decided he can help us. We'd, we'd like a deeper relationship there. Um, it's because of his love for us um, that we um, can't miss the opportunity to be intentional about building community. Um, that we can't allow people um, to want closer relationships at our church but not know how to find them um, and that we can't have these open doors where people can find easier ways into God's family um, it's because of the love that, that we've been shown uh, the ministry that's been modeled to us and the mission that we've been given um, so again an invitation to think with me let me know your ideas. Let me know what you're thinking. Um, and we'll uh, continue the series next week by looking at 
personal space, so the closer friendships in our lives. Um, for now, um, how might we be salt and light as neighbors? Um, as friends and people. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the love that you've shown us. We thank you that you uh, crossed the street to, to come to us. Uh, we thank you that you um, put yourself forward. You showed yourself to us so that we could see and taste how good you are in the life that we can find in you, that we can believe and follow. Um, and we pray, Father, that, that you would um, continue to develop healthy and, and important relationships in our lives, um, that we might not only grow and, and be satisfied um, with the life that you have to offer us, um, but that we might also um, offer that life to other people, offer the love and friendships we've found to people around us um, who do not yet have that. Um, and so... We do it all because we love you, and most importantly, because you've loved us. And so we give you thanks for that. And all of God's people say, Amen. Amen.